Welcome digital wildcatters. It is BDE post independence day, or as the British girlfriend called it, treasonous colony day. I heard it termed by a Brit who was on part of the trip that I was on good riddance day. <laughs> good riddance day. After, after being regaled with literally 40 renditions of the star spangled banner on the team bus. Hey, good for that. Kirk, what's up in Nantucket? How was the fourth in Nantucket? I mean, fantastic. Besides, um, many of us were overserved, so I'm looking for no. someone responsible for that. But um, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, I didn't drive into the water like some other people did down <laughs> boat ramps, and I got home safely. So there you go. Good for you. The um, just in case anyone's curious, the island of Sardinia in the middle of the Mediterranean, pretty freaking baller. The, uh, you know, you're on, yeah. this, you're on this island. We go to this beach club to see the sunset. If Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Brady, any of the Justins were there, it would have like totally fit in. It was stunning, amazing. Went and had dinner at this small little town on the harbor right next to a Ferrari dealership and right next to an off-white, uh, which is my favorite uh, road wear, designer wear, off-white store. Like, I literally think we only have one off-white store in Texas, and here we are. So Sardinia is baller. Dude, I'm with you, man. That's <laughs> awesome. All right. Should we talk rig count? We can touch on it real quick. Um well directed down nine week over week, week as per Inveris. This is kind of like being the weatherman in California, right? Yes. The weather today is 72 degrees. It's down eight, down one. Yeah. Interestingly, gas ticked up one. Uh, don't think we've seen any structural change there that would motivate anything but a down direction. But somebody, um, somebody finally couldn't get out of the contract. <laughs> I mean, it was like, shit. Okay, we'll take the ring. Week over week. Got to do it. Same with inventories. We had pretty strong performance by uh, distillate and, and gasoline, but the crude adjustment factor is still causing some consternation. Um, it was a weaker than expected crude draw, but the, the data certainty is is low. You know, the backdrop is still very volatile and very ambiguous. But we have had a little bit of catch up over the last month or so. Uh, I was looking at the XOP before we started. We're back to flat for a year, for the year, after over the last month being up 3%. So, um, you know, it's a lot of water treading, a lot of waiting to see. And again, it's that show me, I think that show me uh, theme that we've been talking about still in play, even though we left for a couple of weeks. So at what point... Is there an, a, a number on the inventory level or some reference to five-year average or just something where we we actually show me? Or, I mean, do we have a goal we're looking for or is it just kind of what Justice Potter said about pornography? I know it when I see it. Yeah, I think it's more the latter. <laughs> You're hanging around, you know, five-year averages slightly below in products, whatever that means. I, I think the separation... And, you know, the data quality issues that are, I don't know if that's a, a cop out or a punt with the crude adjustment factor. Now we're talking about 
U.S. DOE. Um, just some from from week to week, some squirrely things going on, which don't lend um, lend a lot of of confidence to an up and to the right type of direction. Although I think j- just generally it's been more constructive, but. No, I don't think there's – I think there needs to be a consistent string of weeks through the summer and as we head into the end of the year that crude and products start to draw hard demand and in, in, in recovery in China shows up. Um, at least based on my travels, there's not an empty seat on an airplane or uh, an empty spot at any any tourist spot and reservations are six months in advance for, for some of the hottest spots so people are traveling. I want to go back to the airplane for a second because there that woman that charged off the airplane because she sat next to a guy that didn't exist is the best meme on Twitter right now. But but in the meantime, I'm looking at the data mark and it looks like US crude output is heading towards another record breaking year. So the Saudis and OPEC are cutting. Rig count seems to be, you know, same as usual. Um, are we going to break uh, production this year uh, over last year? And like, how are we doing that? I mean, that we, you know, every time we seem to exceed production levels, it's, you know, for the longest time it was technology keeps getting better. And then the story was, well, Exxon and Chevron were late to the Permian. They're just now starting to drill their acreage. Boom. That's why we get better. And then it was, well, we built all these ducks that we're now doing, but it just, I don't well, know. Well, I read an article from the Wall Street Journal on Friday that said efficiency gains. And I reached out to the author because I was just curious. And I kept digging and digging and digging. And what I found out is they're hiring better. So Colin McClellan, Frack Slap, um, is old school. They're hiring better guys because when you have guys like Colin on the rig, are eating burgers out of you fall into the mess hole, um, you get sort of half-assed work. So maybe what we're discovering is there's just better guys out there. Tejano and Brown girls. greater than Frack Slap. Heard it here first. We said it here. Yeah, you, you do have a, a combination of high grading and execution efficiency gain. So is there a, a cresting wave here that's driving this? I don't know. We We've talked a lot in the past about um, type curb de- degradation. And, you know, we do believe that there is a um, kind of end of the runway for core and tier one. And so just inherently that should be something that shows up in the sustainability or lack of sustainability of these production levels that we're seeing. I think, where are we at? 12.4? Recapture 12.4 million barrels a day. And – you know, it, it just starting to feel like a uh, little orphan Annie tomorrow, tomorrow. And we've been singing that song just, just forever. It's, um, I don't know. I should probably dig into it instead of sitting here trying to recount, uh, show tunes. All right. Yeah, let's, let's reach out on. for next week, but I think it's pretty interesting. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, What's no, next? I, the, the one thing I will say just to, to on your point about air travel, there's a, <laughs> Uh, Twitter site I follow that tracks number of flights flown and they said three days ago was the most flights they'd ever tracked and I can tell you this I mean we were we saw Americans all over the place in London in Sardinia 
everybody's traveling. And kind of the, the anecdotal thing is I called Morgan Stanley and just kind of said, Hey, going to be, you know, London, then I'm going to be in Italy. I need to make sure my card's good, number one, and I need to make sure I have available cash. So if I go to the ATM, you know, all that. And my lady there was like, you know, you're the sixth person that's called me in the last four days with this same request. Make sure your money's available. So there was a Wall Street Journal article or a Times article, gosh, call it two weeks ago, week and a half ago, talking about Europe is overrun with Americans and it was it was at least attributed to backlog, you know, pent up demand as well as all the vaccine mandates have uh, have worn off. So, in terms and, of and what's interesting is if you just sort of look at Nantucket as a as a small microcosm, rentals here are down twenty five percent this summer so far, which is crazy, and and it's kind of spooked people on the island, except those of us that want to get actually good dinner reservations. But it sounds like many people are going to Europe instead. And that's the that's what all the I've talked to all the top uh, real estate agents on island who have told me that exact same thing. It's like they're they're electing to go to Europe instead of, you know, beach uh, beach time in Nantucket. But what's interesting, though, that seems to be on the lower top echelon on the high top echelon. I follow Nantucket Airport on Twitter and a few other. It seems that. Nantucket is so overrun with private jets that they are pushed. They're actually telling private jets they can't come to Nantucket, or if they do, they have to land, drop their guests off, and go find another port. So it, it, it's interesting that traffic and congestion on the high end is is seems to be holding like steady, but even even greater than last year. Well, I can, and I'll pull a chart attest, together for you guys. Yeah, I can attest to driving for the better part of 12 days over three countries and I don't know how many thousand miles. Um, every gas station, convenience stop, every freeway. Um, and if you've spent time traversing Europe in a car, you know, when it's time to fill up, it's it's not a trivial thing. It's uh, it's it's pretty sticker shock every time you, <laughs> every time you do it, and every place you stop is full. The highways are full. Uh, there's a lot of traffic. Uh, great thing is, is it moves very quickly. Um, but <clears throat> there were just seemingly a lot of people out and about, and the few one-off dinner reservations that I tried to make away from my planned itinerary were not not really that easy to come by. Yeah, we kind of so McDonald's that. or what? What's your preference <laughs> over there in Europe, Mark? Surprisingly, found a lot of good uh, fusion, Asian fusion, and and sushi in Holland and Germany. Believe it or not, I hate to I hate to change the topic real quick, but I swear to God, I saw either a tweet or an ad from McDonald's. They will cater your wedding for two hundred dollars, and it's basically <laughs> all the nuggets you can eat. <laughs> As someone with three daughters, I'm like, I am this. this. That's a great idea. This does not sound bad. So, all right. What what did Derek Brower from the Financial Times say? So, he switched. Derek Brower used to run or was the lead writer on the energy desk for Financial Times. And this was while we were out. I don't remember the specific date on his, I think it was his swan song uh, article as head of the energy desk before he moved, moved over U.S. energy desk before he moved over to politics. 
and basically saying that, you know, um, energy transition volatility and the pace, you know, under capitalism means it's just not going to get done. Therefore, government is going to have to take over in something akin to a Marshall Plan. And again, big oil can't be counted on because they're, they've got a tremendous amount of uh, both uh, political capital sunk and actual capital sunk in the installed base of existing infrastructure. Therefore, they're going to naturally drag their feet. And so nothing in terms of kind of the cost of this thing, but basically getting a little more um, aggressive with the, you know, with, with the notion, with the thought that this scale of transition needs to be pushed in the only way at this scale uh, that can, can bring it to bear is government led. So is he, is he gonna, willing to take up arms and go march on China and India? I mean, that, that's kind of my, my issue with uh, this whole thing is okay. It's so important. We have to have the government lead this and all. Well, we can't really, we've never been able to force China and India to do anything. And, if, you know, again, well, it goes back to that crass statement we always make. There's not a peeing in a non-peeing section of the pool. The other part of this is, and I saw a lot of it in Europe, um, I don't know what your observations were, is there's a big disconnect by those with, you know, the pen or the or the, the megaphone mm -hmm. basically demanding that we do what consensus science is telling us we need to do. And that the populace or the electorate is on board with this. I know from my anecdotal samples across Europe and the countries that I visited and the casual conversations I had, we talked a lot about energy and some of the, you know, some of the looming things that are very real to the everyday uh, European about their daily life and what it's going to cost to, you know, own a canal tour boat on, on the canals in, in Amsterdam. Uh, I talked to one bartender who said, you know, he's fairly young and he said, look, I'm thinking hard about moving to Italy because there's a real gap in, uh, this was in Germany. There's a real gap in, in, um, there's an age gap for his generation mm -hmm. and, you know, the trade-offs that they're having to make because of the inflationary pressure and the continued push down this path. And we're starting to see that wedge emerge in in the middle of this whole conversation, particularly in Europe. And so the, the thing I saw is the girlfriend and I had dinner with her best friend and husband and they're very well to do. Um, yet they sit around and watch the monitor in their house that shows their energy bill for the month and okay, maybe we need to adjust the temperature higher and the like. So it's, it's hitting, you know, middle-class, upper middle-class folks as well. It's well-to-do versus ne'er-do-well, um, right, Chuck, yeah. the rest of us? Exactly. So the I, I mean, you know, this is going to be we're, – we're, we're living it in real time. I think history is going to look back on this era and, and scoff and laugh at. You know, I think we're heading towards some sort of um, – you know, you are, we already talked about it, about, you know, how Shell and others are starting to back off of these 2050 goals and saying, wait a minute. 
you know, energy is a real issue. The rising prices are a real issue. People are revolting and they can't afford to be clean because it doesn't make any sense, let alone the cost of, you know, renewables means we need all these precious metals that come from places like China and the DNC. It just doesn't make any sense, but, you know, we have to play the narrative. You have to watch it. But I think we're going to look back and it's going to be interesting to see that there's going to be a hard correction. So the podcast I release on Wednesday, Chuck Yates Needs a Job, is Ann Bradbury, who's CEO mm. of the American Petroleum Exploration Council. And we had a pretty thoughtful discussion, thoughtful for me at least, um, about how if you're going to sit there and say – we need to go all in. We need to re, uh, we need to reduce carbon, et cetera. In effect, you're going to make higher cost energy, and that is what the developing world is telling, or that is what the the first world is telling the developing world, and that's not going to be good. That's like wars get fought, buildings get blown up, stuff like that. I mean, I think that is a real issue if the first world is going to tell folks y'all can just eat cake, you know. Well, the flip side of that is, and, and what, what Brower has as a, a chief assumption is that the developed world will just have to pay for the, the infrastructure and the transition costs for the developing world and even do it at, you know, from a deficit, which creates all kinds of ongoing structural issues. And, you know, I think the, uh, I, I think this was more of just a, a bit of a parting shot. Hey, I'm going to cover politics, so let's let's put something out there really uh, provocative from a an energy politics standpoint. Is my last piece? Yeah, it's perfect for his political point of view. It's it's great. It's great theater. I mean, you know, we 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 bantered about this a little bit. I'm more of a futurist than an economist because I like to take different pieces of data and create a story and a narrative. But as I was thinking about our, you know, our, our children's generation um, versus, you know, our parents, you know, handing down to us, we, we probably came out of probably the greatest wealth generation in a long time. We had the internet, um, which completely changed sort of the dynamics of the financial markets, right? Um, now we look at our children who are living in high inflation um, I don't see what, what's going to be the great uh, step function change in society to create wealth. One person told me, well, it's going to be AI. I'm like, great, sure. But if you talk to Microsoft, Oracle, Google, and everyone else about AI is we don't have the power. There's no way to generate enough power because the current power consumption of the internet with AI is going to at least triple it. And if you actually look at, okay, well, great, where's the power going to come to generate AI? I have, you know, um, there, it's not there. Like current grids are at capacity. So there needs to be trillions and trillions of dollars invested into upgrading grids around the world to build data centers, which, you know, data centers are high energy consumption um, uh, businesses. And currently um, we're at capacity today. So tell me how our kids' generation are going to create this massive wealth when there's limitations on the ability to create step function change and reducing costs ultimately. What do you guys think? Let's go buy an island. 
put a big old nuclear reactor on it. We'll have all the power. You can put as many computers as you want there. We'll have great beaches. Uh, I'll just build an LNG dock. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No doubt. But no, no doubt. you're no, you're you're absolutely right. Because if you read Mark Mills' latest book, I think it's about a year old now. He says the economy is going to boom, and it's going to boom because of the cheap power of the cloud, all the materials we have today, you know, versus fifty years ago, and then the uh, what was the third thing? It was materials. It was the cloud. There was there was something else going on um, that we had, and he thought it was going to boom, and we didn't drill down onto that point. But I think it's a really good one. Of okay, you need power to 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 dig into all that to make all that. It's a happen. huge problem. I, I'm I'm telling you. Do you know that Microsoft Bing runs on someone else's um, cloud today because they ran out of they ran out of <laughs> they capacity. Really? Yeah, so this is a gigantic problem that no one really understands except those in the business. And the biggest issue is power. It's like if you think about AI, for example, a good you know, there's a company that I'm gonna that's an energy business that is a high power consumer. They cannot run AI on new um, AI chips that are made by you know our fam- our friends over at um, uh, who's the uh, graphics uh guys i'm blanking but um they run on older computers because um the existing the problem is they they don't have the power to run faster chips currently they're running ai on their existing chips the problem is those chips are burning up because there's too much power needed so this is something that we should probably have some experts come on and let's talk about i can get a few people because i think it's i think we need to sort of unveil what's really happening here about we're sort of running against up against sort of constraints here. I think everyone else is pointing to, you know, a little bit um, data that's kind of different, but like, you know, Rivian and Tesla shares are up because they're outperforming. I mean, that's great. I mean, let's sell more EVs, but the problem is eventually how are we going to charge all these EVs? You know, I had, um, I had Campbell Faulkner on and he's kind of my go-to for the grid. We did a podcast called a year and a half ago on kind of grid 101. Why are we having blackouts? We did one two or three weeks ago about should Texas interconnect, should ERCOT can interconnect to the East and to the West. And his big picture point was no one. It's too hard engineering wise, too costly. But his other point was, all the issues we're having at ERCOT, the other grids are starting to have it too. So just shit plus shit plus shit isn't necessarily going to be better. And I, I think we need to give some serious thought to, I mean, do we see private grids? I mean, if you are Microsoft, if you are Google, if you are you know, one of these, are you building a data center? Are you building your own nuclear reactor? Are you going to have your own grid set up there? And and in effect, go off the grid because you're right; it's all tapped out. And the no, the, I can't. I, and the government bureaucrats your, running this aren't going to make it any better. I've been asked, and I think including your your GF has asked me for this, but I did r- write a strategic narrative for a company that I used to work for about this very subject that was considered and adopted by the board. Now it's really hard to get there, but. I think there is something about local 
ism and privatization of grids. And But those grids still need to be interconnected because we're already seeing the self-consumption laws in Europe where if I have excess solar or excess energy that I've produced at my house, legally, some my utility has to buy that from me. And ultimately, it'd be great if that could be used somewhere else. Today, yeah. it's a big liability. And it's a huge issue from that perspective. But in the future, I think if it's if it's designed correctly, there's the ability to produce and and, and settle energy locally, which would which would give us a lot more power capabilities. So, so I, I, my head is exploding because of the grid, and now we're going to go to renewable fuels. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a connection back to the FT piece. In, in our one of our favorite subjects, which is the, the seeming reflex to just demonize big oil or they're not going to be a part of this, yet we demand that they be a part of it and spend a lot of money without any regard to rate of return. Yeah. No, and Brad Barry and I talked about that as well is just, you know, let's just shut off oil for a week. So you, you brought up one of our favorite analogies about the pool and the and the sections. Yep. We have 256 million cars on the road, light duty vehicles on the road. Vast majority of those are liquid fuel. The average age is 12 years. Oh wow. And they will be in service until they're 20. And so Chevron in June had put out a um public relations piece describing what they had done with their renewable fuels road test. And so they dropped in the renewable fuels formulation, which is, I think, 50% renewables. I don't know what the makeup of it is. And they drove three separate Toyotas on different routes from Pascagoula, Mississippi, through Louisiana, up into Texas, and ended up in Plano. I think, think they all drove... Maybe they followed the same route. I don't, I don't recall. 956 miles or just at 1,000 miles. And so the, the calculations from the greenhouse gas or CO2 emissions reduction as a result of this renewable fuel performance could translate over a very broad base to a 40% reduction over that life cycle in these liquid-fueled vehicles or these ICE vehicles. Well, <clears throat> for some reason... Mark Brownfield, who is the senior vice pre- Brownstein, sorry, who's the senior vice president for the Environmental Defense Fund Energy Program, um, tweeted out yesterday that, and I'll read it. Ooh, there's so many things wrong with this marketing campaign. Hard to know where to begin. Were the climate scientists and economists consulted? in quote-unquote cooking this up, or were they simply ignored? (laughs) You can't make this up. Right. And so I I know for a fact that there are some capable scientists that work in their day jobs on very translatable types of things uh, as regards to measuring and modeling emissions. All up and down the chain, these companies are full of chemists, they're full of uh, fuel experts, or they're full of, of physicists. And so the notion that they somehow need to check their work on this test 
you're trying to do something about it now within the core business. And I'm all for that if it makes sense to address the installed base and, you know, a 12-year-old ICE vehicle has another eight years of life and probably ends up somewhere else in the world, as we talked about not too long ago in the, in the aftermarket, the, the export market. And so, you know, you, you got to give credit where credit is due and the two dimensions of this whole transition debate, ESG, whatever you want to call it, is playing the game, which is the politics and policy. The other is technically solving the problem. I don't, I don't yeah, know every the, detail the, about this test, but it seems to be a, a, a pretty robust and thoughtful uh, approach to uh, testing and evaluating renewable fuels and, and an impact on emissions reduction that can be made immediately. Yeah, no, the, it was interesting when I had Kelly Mitchell on uh, my podcast and we talked about it. She's big environmentalist and I adore her. She's actually really cool. I consider her a good friend. I won't do justice to her argument, but at least for the first time kind of got it. Her whole point was if we incremental better, we build more infrastructure that has to be sustained for longer. And so even though we just made something 40% better 10 years from now, we're still dealing with the remnants. We just need, I think she was saying we need to chop the head off the snake. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that was the first time I no, kind of saw her point of, okay, maybe, you know, not, not that I would agree with it, but at least kind of understand what, cause I could never understand why don't you just get a little better? I mean, that's what they say when you lose weight. That's what they say when you're an athlete, Kobe Bryant, I look in the mirror every night. I'm a Tom little House. bit better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the elite of the elite want to find that one, one to person. 2% more. Yeah. But I think the definition guys is what is better. I mean, China, China's view of, of better is building more coal plants so that they can be economically the super giant. And, and whoever has the most money wins. They can build the largest defense. Um, they can make war. They can do whatever they want. That, to me, is like, what is the goal here? No. I mean, China's goal and, is to con control the, su the supply chain to all of this. Not only the convergence did we just discuss about sort of technology and power. I was sort of uh, over the weekend just listening to some podcasts about, I don't know if you've been following, it's a little bit political, but sort of Nigel Farage and a few others in the UK that they can't find banks, local banks to bank them because they're politically at risk, Right. I don't know if y'all are familiar with the subject, but just yeah. a brief background is no no banks want to cover anyone that is potentially connected to Russia, whether it's true or false, blah, blah, blah. So And and that whole I, thing was set on the floor of parliament where there's immunity and the challenge is always, okay, go step outside of parliament, say it, where they have pretty strict uh, libel and slander laws in UK. So anyway, keep going. Yeah. So hold sorry about the background noise of of course the mowers come right when I'm filming. We're we're filming a podcast. But but over the last few weeks have been, you know, the World Economic Forum and a few other things. Um, but one of the big banks, a Dutch bank of all things, now we gotta talk about the Netherlands and what happened on on, on their government, but they've been saying that several of the assets, if they're not sustainable very soon, will not be bankable. So 
referring to China's coal. And now China doesn't need Dutch banking, but but we're seeing sort of this interesting world where, you know, um, cheap power, China, they have enough money, so they don't need to get banked. But here in other parts of the, of the U.S. and Europe, um, people are not able to find, um, you know, credit credit sources. What is that going to happen? They're just sort of forcing, the you know, the, the banks are sort of forcing um, a narrative of going clean. But what that means is just higher prices. And so I think same with technology. There's this interesting sort of convergence happening between banking, power, technology, that there's going to be winners, which I think, you know, China clearly is winning. Um, and no one's holding them accountable if, on either side. Um, you know, what do you guys think? Well, if you can't, if you can't transact, it's you're pretty much dead in the water. Yeah. Right? I mean, India, India's being a winner too. Hey, we'll buy oil from whoever wants to sell it to us. You know, I mean, it's uh it it all it all still comes back to the big picture is if we want to if we really want to have an energy transition, we have to in, take into account what everybody's doing. And we only have limited funds we can use to make this happen. And let's be thoughtful about it. And we're just not, you know? Agreed. Agreed. Well, if what the problem we gets solved today, in, in, in some places, sport. the money flow is- stops. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's right. No, that's exactly right. All right. My finger of the week, and I freaking hate them. I'm, I, Wait, before you go there, Chuck, yeah. I wanted to get back to you. You said something about McDonald's and it made me laugh because there's this guy I follow on Twitter that's super funny. He just he talks about 70s stuff, but he goes, I remember in the 80s when Japan surpassed us in automotives and electronics, and we countered that shit by making a burger with cool lettuce and tomatoes. Checkmate <laughs> I saw Japan. That. The McDLT. The McDLT. That's George right. Costanza's first Checkmate commercial. Japan. That's that's so awesome. I love isn't that uh, 70s sports or whatever that guy yeah, is. Super yeah, super 70s yeah, he's great. Yeah, that he's, guy is so damn funny, man. Yeah, take that. All right, Chuck. Let's go to Andrew. He did a, I, I was uh he did a middle of the night. Hey, I'm I'm in the mood to answer some questions. I caught it too late, but uh, some of the random stuff that was fired his way is is hilarious. Yeah, I always always love the picture of the '70s baseball players where it's something to the effect of, you know, this guy led the league in badassery you know, or badassery or something, or he says in home runs and car break ins yeah. or you know whatever. He's that guy's great. All right, so I uh, was coming back from uh, London yesterday. It's on the 140 UA4, United Airlines 4. We land 25 minutes early. Kudos to United. Flew pretty fast, got us there. About 30 minutes later, so five minutes after we're supposed to be on the gate, pilot comes on and says, hey, guys, I really want to go home. I promise you this is not me. We're here for another 45 minutes because there's not a gate open for us at uh, Bush. (laughs) Bush has turned into the biggest shit show on the planet. I know they're doing construction. They're building. Have you tried to have someone pick you up from Terminal D or E? I mean, it's yeah, a I did mess. Thursday. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, you basically have to walk 
20 minutes to Terminal B to get to to be I, able I to think get you need to tell people to pick you up at B. It's so much easier. Yeah, and it, I got and I got picked up at E, and it was late in the day. There was you know six thirty or so in the in the evening, and I had not had a pickup at at E or D. Um, but you go you know you go down this very narrow pathway that you know it's it's just a it's a chaotic mess in terms of cars trying to get in and out and it's plugging up all the other traffic. If you get somebody who's not, you know, in a hurry or being urgent about it. Right? Yeah. If you're at the front of the line in your car, you're not moving until the police well, of officer course. comes over and physically moves you out of it's there. It's not it's- well marked. And, you know, people are standing in a very narrow sidewalk and leaving their bags out in the middle and they tell you to go down to the end. Right. Which is, a good call, go all the way down to the end, column number 12 or 13. And then if you got somebody that knows what they're doing, come pick you up, zoom around and, and get in and get out. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just a mess. One of the greatest stories about America was in the middle of COVID, the height of COVID and things were shut down and they were doing the, the car (laughs) drive-in testing. I believe this was in North Carolina uh, a Chick-fil-A manager of a store went to get tested and it was an hour and 47 minutes in his car. So he parks his car, he gets out, he goes and talks to the head of the testing facility and just says, Hey, I work for Chick-fil-A. Do you mind if I kind of help out here? You know, no, I don't want any money. I just, you know, I want to help out here. He studies it for the afternoon. He studies it the next morning at lunch. He's like, I got some plans here. By the end of the day and a half later, 17 minutes to get tested. Why can we not Whoa. have Chick-fil-A go handle the parking pickup situation at Terminal E? Amazing. Wow, Chuck, that was brilliant. I was thinking a more millennial way thing. Even though they're not going to surpass us in wealth creation, they have surpassed us in figuring out ways to borrow and slum off others. <laughs> Let's raise a GoFundMe campaign for the three of us to fly private. There we go. I need my jet again. I actually texted Colin from Sardinia going, don't worry, Colin. I may get motivated to help around here. I might need a job again because I really hey, do miss my jet. it's the share jet. economy. Why are all these billionaires not sharing their jets with, with, with those people like us that clearly deserve to fly private, right? <laughs> you, you said amongst them seems like good yeah, exactly. bar and dinner conversation. Yeah, you I'm know. working on it, man. Uh, well, Digital Wildcatters, sorry we weren't more on our game, but I'm still kind of on vacation. I think I drank more in Sardinia last week. Dude, this is long tail shit, two. Chuck. We're going to point to this podcast. It's going to be like number one because we said one thing. <laughs> that changes changes the path of the world. The thing I always love is we always tweet out something of as discussed on BDE, whether we freaking talked about it or not. <laughs> Just the beauty of that. The uh, you know it was funny the other day. My daughter she does these little videos on YouTube for Roblox where she does hacks. She was out downloading uh, BDE like three to one the other day. So anyway, there we go. We got that going for us. We got it going for us. All right, Digital Wildcatters, we'll be back next week, I think. And uh, if you like the podcast, please say so. Please subscribe, share it with your friends. Peace out.